Hello and welcome to part two of our interview with former WTA player Jill Krabus. To catch you up, we've learned that Jill is a master chocolatier and tiddlywink player. And in this episode, we get into tennis and how to navigate life afterwards. Enjoy! We spoke when you hadn't been retired long and I know it was difficult. It was difficult for you to, to not be a player anymore and to look at, because I imagine the life ahead of a tennis player. It was difficult. It, and it's long. When you retire, it's long to know what to do next and what you're going to do. And it's great to see this passion and excitement. You're still working, of course, in tennis, but it's still great to see this excitement and passion for this stuff. Well, it business. wasn't there right away. And... Um I mean, I just motioned to Naomi, too, and she agreed it was really difficult. I mean, I think it's difficult for everybody because it's been your life since you were little. So it's it's, it's a really tough transition. But I got some great advice from some professional, former professional tennis players that had retired before me. Um, like I had spoken to Ai Sugiyama because she ta- uh, retired before me. I, and another one that was really beneficial for me, which, which you know I think is Kenneth Carlson. He's at Wimbledon every year doing the comment. He was great too and he just gave me some great advice and he was just like because it was advice that was given to him and he passed it along to me and he basically said just say just try everything. And he's like, even if you feel like you know kind of that you want to do coaching or whatever it is, he's like, just try everything. And that's like, it kind of clicked in my head when I saw that, the chocolatier class. And, he, and I was like, just whatever. I don't know. Just try it. And I just started trying everything. And that's where I feel like then you start to realize what you don't like, what you like. Because when you're just so absorbed from however young you started I mean you just you haven't been able to experience a lot of stuff because you're so absorbed in tennis yeah it's I mean I wish I'd have had that sort of advice and I I have started doing that in the past maybe two or three years but the first five years I was just so intent on coaching um, and that was what I wanted to do and I just dove straight into it took the first job that was kind of any good just went straight into it just and it it was just so the wrong thing to do I just should have taken some time and as you say just try things because I think tennis players when when we stop um, because of the life that we've lived I mean it's quite abnormal it's it's not the standard it's a unique situation it's incredibly unique but we but we develop so many life skills through traveling around and doing what we do and dealing with pressure situations and there's so much stuff that can be applied to anything and I really think and I give the same advice to any player that stops playing even if they haven't you know played at the grand slams and they've just been a little bit low on the ITF circuit and I always say to them you're such a competent person if you've been able to deal with this life for a period of time everything that you've learned you can apply that to whatever you want and and I think that's that's so important because we're so kind of I don't know. I was so blinkered on because you have one focus and you try and. But do it's it as also well what as you, you know too, yeah. so it's easy just to kind of jump into to something like a coaching because because you know it. Mm. And sometimes you can feel like it's your only option. I mean, I've spoken to players and players that have achieved big, big things, and they've kind of gone, uh, "Well, I feel like I can coach. Uh, you know, maybe I can coach somebody on tour, or I can kind of coach at home, or maybe I can commentate." but I'm not really very good at speaking. And people feel really, really kind of trapped and that they don't have any any skills, but the amount of skills that players have is absolutely huge. Yeah. It's just about figuring out what you want to do and that you can apply it. Um, you know, all of my friends from tennis have always ended up being okay and being successful at something, but there absolutely is the time afterwards of just kind of, oh, back into the real world. I mean, we have been in the real world, but, you know, it, it's very... 
it's it's challenging and it can be really scary. Um, and also for a lot of players, it's their identity. I'm a tennis player. It's really difficult to be something different and to be around people that don't really care that you're a tennis player. Like it's cool and it's interesting, but it doesn't really. Well, they say, were you any good? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so but it, it is it, scary. It, it is. is it's really it, it hard. is scary. Yeah. I mean, I struggled for like a year and a half, I would say, before. But I did take that time off, and even during that time off, I was, I did feel like I lost my identity a did little bit. Did you find it quite hard to go back to tournaments, sort of being around the active tennis scene? Did you feel you needed to maybe stay away from tennis for a little bit? I didn't feel like I needed to stay away because I mean, I retired at the U.S. Open, and then once Australia came around, I was like, I want to be there. <laughs> and I was like and I was actually at Taylor Dent's house watching the Australian Open at the time because he at the time he lived like 20 minutes away from me so I was with him and um, Jenny his wife who used to play on the tour and so I was hanging out with them and I was and I, we were watching the Australian Open and I was like oh my gosh I want to be there so badly I miss it why did I retire and Taylor was like you're crazy <laughs> I mean it was I knew it was the right time to retire but I really missed it so I didn't get that sensation like I didn't want to be there but when I went to, then I went to the U.S. Open the next year. And when I arrived, I thought it was the weirdest feeling. I'm like, this is so weird. So strange, isn't it? I mean, I was exactly the same. I stopped playing because my career ended very abruptly because I was only 21 and I was still doing kind of God, doing pretty well. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I retired eight years ago. It's crazy. I only actually played for less than six years. So my my career came to an end very, very abruptly. So it was quite difficult to digest and and process. And then I probably retired. And I think I knew I had stopped playing in kind of the January, but officially stopped in maybe the March. (laughs) Mentally, I was I was out of it. Um, And then Wimbledon was quite soon after. And that first Wimbledon was really hard really really difficult because I remember I went to meet a friend for lunch and I didn't realize where I was meeting her was my route through Wimbledon and it was all it was just kind of the couple days before it started I wasn't going to Wimbledon that year it was just I just didn't want to go Um, I just didn't want to deal with it Um, because if I'd have kept playing I would have been playing at Wimbledon it it was it was just black and white Uh, much like for you for you with the Australian Open, right? It wasn't a case of, you know, your, your rankings fallen down to 250, so you're not really in the tournament, so you might as well stop. It was just a choice of, I'm done with this now. And uh, and so I had, and I had to drive straight past the club to get to this lunch thing, and I saw them setting everything up, and the stewards were having their training, and, oh, just the... the 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 feeling uh, was so hard because at the at the time I felt like it was my choice I had chosen not to do it um, but it was for me it was less of a choice you know I was quite ill at the time and it was much more of a you know for my own well being and my own health I, I have to stop doing this so it, it really wasn't a choice the choice was made for me but most people were saying to me how can you choose to walk away from this this is crazy um, so it was quite really quite difficult and then it it wasn't I didn't go to Wimbledon for a few years until I started commentating because it felt harder because you had no reason to go there until you started commentating well I had no reason to go and I think that first one was so hard that I thought it would be really difficult and the first time I, I went back was three years ago um and and I was work, you know, I was working there as a commentator so it was really odd just even being in different sections of Wimbledon that I'd never seen before kind of you know I played five years at Wimbledon and I'd never been to the media bit or, or whatever and being on the other side but it actually was really healing because um just being in the commentary box on centre court and I remember the very first match that I did and people walked out and just thinking like oh my god I did that 
that these people are walking out and I've I've done that I've played you know I've been been doing that and it, it was just the, and that's when I started being really proud of what I've achieved and, and started owning things and started saying yeah I was really good that's funny that's funny <laughs> you know that, I mean? that was what yeah. changed it for me from being quite modest to being like actually what I did was amazing and I should be really proud of it that's, that's funny that you said that you you said something that just sparked a, a memory for me like I, even after like I retired and a few years went by like people would ask me about my career and say, Oh my God, you did that. You did that. You did that. And I would look back and I'd be like, that wasn't, that wasn't, I didn't do that. So that was like, you just kind you kind of like, that wasn't, how did I do that? You start to, I don't know. It's such a weird feeling. I can't even explain it. Like it's, you're it's on the like, treadmill when you're doing it. And no matter what, no, but what, no matter what you achieve, I guess so. you always want more. So you win a tournament and you're like, great, I've won the tournament. When am I going to win my next one? When's but it's next almost like I don't even remember doing it. It's, it's also that you don't have time when you're doing it to stop and think because it, you just go, as you say, from tournament to tournament, from training block to this, and that you never, I, I imagine, did you ever, when you were playing, sit down and look back on what you'd done or did you have to wait until you stopped playing and a bit of time had passed? For me, it was when I stopped, yeah. Because, I mean, it's, it's every week. You're just like you said. I mean, you don't have time. Like you're, I mean, even if you have like a few weeks in the off season to kind of recover it, it starts back so quickly that you're just you're already thinking about when you're going to start training and you're still doing fitness and all this other stuff so yeah you don't you know you're all because you're always looking to progress and get better and you and like Naomi said you always want to you want more and you want to achieve more but I, I I kind of agree with you I feel like the memories aren't really memories as in I remember my match on center court because I've I watched it like I've seen it and I feel like I'm, I'm remembering I don't really remember doing it. And when I, when I watch it, I don't watch it regularly. <laughs> it's my she Saturday does. night viewing. <laughs> it's on loop. When she says she's busy and she can't come out, that's what she's doing. This I watch show it. everybody what I'm proud when of. When people come out to our house, <laughs> yeah. it, it's just paused on the TV screen in the background. And I said, I'm proud of what I've done. You should see that. Like, my, my face is all over my, my walls. It's T-shirts for Naomi's face. and just hands them out. Um, no, but I, I, I only ever watched the match it ended up being the biggest match of my career but you don't know that at the time I kind of assumed I was going to achieve a lot more I didn't think I was going to stop at 21 so that was you know that's probably the big reason why I didn't do anything else but but when I the first time I watched it back it was just really it just felt like I was watching like Jill play somebody I knew but like, yeah, oh, like yeah, I was connected like if I watch you true. play I'm it's connected so strange. to you. it's so bizarre it is so strange and I and I've spoken to other players about this too and and they agree like I mean I remember speaking to Jan Michael Gamble about it and he said he was he felt the same he was like yeah I felt like it was a different person that did all that like it's so weird because I thought I, I thought like what I was thinking I'm like that's so bizarre that I'm thinking that but then it's amazing how many people can relate to it but also also now so in my in my post tennis player life I've kind of allowed bits of my personality and my character out that weren't there before so even just kind of asking for help and um you know before it was just being completely in control of everything I had I had to be like that so now I, I'm happy to let other people you know help but those are those life skills you learned by dealing with all that stuff right exactly I mean, yeah. but now I've kind of let parts of my personality out and sometimes you know if I'm ill I let myself be ill and I say I'm really ill I feel awful I need some TLC and I'm going to sit home. Whereas before, it's just like, I can't be ill. It's How much thing. of the wedding planning are you going to let Ben get involved in? 
it's not about letting. <laughs> it's, 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 he thinks he's doing about 50%. He's probably doing about 3%. Is but, that because um, the controlling aspect? It, it, it's a combination of lots of things. I have a lot of time uh, to do it. I quite enjoy doing it. It's, yeah, no, it's okay. I know I'm, I'm still definitely a little bit controlling in terms of I like to be in control of my, my own life, but, but I've let kind of parts of my character out. So as I say, like, even when I'm ill, I kind of now fall around and be a bit pathetic about it. And uh, I guess the same, sometimes Ben looks at me and he's just like, "How? I don't, I don't believe that you were a professional athlete. Like, <laughs> it's not possible. You're supposed to." And I'm kind of just like lolling around, like, "Help me!" <laughs> and there's Jill in her kitchen whipping up batches of thousands of chocolates, and people going around saying, "You used to do what?" <laughs> no, but some, sometimes you know, like a, a key thing is that. Um, I don't know. I, I I might lose stuff, or uh, I I don't know. I'm I'm not. <laughs> I was going to say I'm not particularly organised, but <laughs> by looking at my list of fines, I wasn't particularly organised when I was a player either. But um, yeah, there are just some things that uh, Do you, you find know, I now allow... turning up to events that you're meant to be turning up to now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm always slightly nervous about that. Um, no, but I just I allow myself to be because you know I had to find my kind of inner steeliness because I, when I was a young teenager I was so so nice and it was very unnatural for me to you know be coming up against some hard as nails Russian player and trying to match them in terms of the fight I'm bringing to the court I mean I would be fighting but so I had to really dig deep uh, to find that and now I've kind of let all of that go and I've kind of you know gone back to being I suppose what I am more naturally and it does it does sometimes I think like how on earth did I travel around the world <laughs> to do this stuff do you, does that relate? Do you find you're slightly different or different bits of you have come out now that you've stopped playing? Not, not really, actually. But you, were, you were like a really natural, like you naturally worked. Like t- Tennis just didn't fit me. It's the part of the reason why I struggled so much and I ended up stopping so early. It just was not, it just didn't suit me. I loved so much of it. I loved the training and competing. But yeah. So much of it just didn't suit me And naturally. did you know that at the time and you were just desperately trying to make it work or is it something that since you've realised that it just wasn't a fit and you were really struggling to make it fit? It's kind of a combination. I was trying to... We were trying to force me to fit the way that a normal tennis player would do things. So in terms of long trips away, nine weeks down to Australia for whatever, and or, you know, six, seven hours of training, six days a week, whatever it may be, and... It was. Why are you making that face? She doesn't. Like, that doesn't. She doesn't think that. You that doesn't think sound normal. Either. I think that's how no, it works. No, I was. No, I was thinking the opposite. I didn't. I didn't think Jill's six, like, seven hours go. training. Yeah, I was like, thinking. Six hours, awesome. I was thinking no. Th- eight weeks in Australia sounds okay, but it was just it's the training there, part. There were so many things that didn't fit. I didn't like being on the road for longer than two weeks. I really struggled with my results, and and so many so many elements of it were really try, quite forced, and I had to really find and go to places that just. Just, it, it was, was it your all... choice to, to play tennis from the beginning? Um, we, that's quite an interesting conversation. It, it, I mean, absolutely was my choice. It was in no way forced upon me. But when I always anticipated going to American college, because I was nowhere when I was younger. I mean, I, lo- I lost in qualifying for nationals under 14s. So, I mean when I was 14 it wasn't like I was 11 or anything so I mean I was nowhere near considering I was going to be a professional tennis player it happened very very quickly um and then uh yeah it was just when I got to the time that I was thinking about going to college I was already in Grand Slam qualifying and I was already playing main draw Wimbledon because I got a wild card for being British and it just seemed like the choice of going to college was already made 
as in I, I, I didn't actually sit down and make the decision because I was already kind of inside around 200. If I'd have been four or 500, I would have sat down, made the decision. I probably would have decided to go because I always said to myself, if I'm not in slams, I'm, I'm going to go. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was, I mean, nobody dictated that I played, but in terms of, I don't remember ever sitting down and deciding this is what I want to do. I just kind of got good. And then so at 14, I was nowhere and I was just playing as a hobby. And then 16, I had kind of, totally jumped to the top of the game in the country and then they say you know you get the phone call saying like oh you want to come full-time we'll give you all the money in the world we'll give you a coach a trainer you can travel the world I was like yeah let's go and then and it just kind of it's a bit of a snowball thing for me so for me when I I mean I didn't start playing tennis till I was 10 years old because I played a lot of other sports so I played soccer field hockey and softball and growing, growing up in New England in the northeastern part of the states um especially field hockey and soccer soccer were really popular oh, so I mean you were annoyingly good at everything as well <laughs> well I mean so talented. And I, only, I, I say that with love at, I wasn't that great at softball for some reason I, I could hit the ball every time when I was hitting in softball but I hit it directly to the pitcher every time <laughs> out it's not the idea of the game <laughs> i mean literally i would hit it right to the pitcher my mom and i were just talking about that the other day she's like you just couldn't get it away from the pitcher I'm like, what position were you in soccer uh center forward okay i was thinking of you sort of a winger sort of center forward type yeah i, yeah, I was center forward very quick and i really feel like soccer helped my tennis because i feel like i helped my it helped my footwork a lot and I mean even when I from a very young age like I had the first coaches that I had when I first started playing tennis they actually asked me if I had played soccer before because um, soccer helps with your footwork so so well and because I had pretty good footwork right from the beginning. So then how did tennis, you were playing all these other sports, was it just that tennis is one you hadn't tried? Well, it was a Christmas gift from my parents, yeah I don't know they, t- they decided three sports wasn't enough so they all they gave me my brother and sister a week of tennis lessons and tennis rackets for Christmas one year so they just added in the fourth sport because my brother and sister were playing soccer. My sister was playing softball as well. My brother played lacrosse. Yeah, we were a pretty sporty family. And then that was it, that, that week of tennis lessons, the racket for your parents. Yeah, I think I was so young. I still don't remember why I chose tennis to this day. I have no idea why I chose tennis. I'm assuming it came to a point where my parents were like, look, we can't physically take the all three of you sports. all these different areas like for a sport so I don't know and did you enjoy the traveling and the time away I loved and it all because you hear from some players and they they love the sitting at the airports and being on flights and going to different places other people absolutely hate it I wouldn't specifically say I love sitting at airports but I mean I, I there's nothing about that I mean there's definitely struggles that you have to deal with and you know you're they're going to have adversity that you have to overcome but I feel like I mean I loved it all I just loved playing even if I lost okay where are we going next I want to go to the next tournament where am I going I just loved it but it was, <laughs> it was it. such a good fit though for you wasn't it as a career that's what, what I was saying I in loved terms it, of it yeah. was, I mean you, you but you, I could tell that with Jill I think. yeah and I think a lot of people could tell that I was not you know whilst you know I, I had an all right backhand <laughs> struggling with so many areas <laughs> Naomi, give us a little bit more credit than that. Come on. Well, I, I feel like especially, I've been a bit I mean, too. Please give yourself a little bit more credit, especially since you kicked my butt. <laughs> my backhand was very good on that day. <laughs> it's a difficult one, though, isn't it? Because it's it's a career and a life that you've had for so so long. And but for you, when it came to the end, it, it was because that you weren't looking forward to the matches. It was was it one day you woke up and said, right, this U.S. Open, it's over, it's finished. No. Because it wasn't even me that recognized it. It was my coach that recognized it. He was like, he, he, I think like a few months went by and he, was, he took me aside and he was like, you just, 
you, you don't look like you. Like, you don't look like you're having and fun did anymore. you know it, but you needed someone to tell you? No, I didn't know it. Because I, I was actually really confused because I still loved training so much. So there's a part of me that was like, well, I do love it. I know I love it because I can't wait to get up in the morning and go practice for three hours. <laughs> but what I wasn't recognizing was that when I woke up for a match, all of a sudden I was like kind of disinterested, like not interested. I was tired all of a sudden, like only on match days. And it took me a while to realize that. And then finally my coach was just like, yeah, he's like, you need to think about this a little and bit. Why you the US don't... Open and how hard was it to, and to actually say it out loud? This is going to be my last tournament. Um, why the U.S. Open? Because it's it's the U.S. Open and I'm an American. Because um, I initially wanted to finish the year. And my coach, Raj, at the time was kind of like, um, look, do you want to finish in, you want to finish your career in Asia or Europe? Or you want to finish it where you should finish it at the U.S. Open? All your friends are going to be here. You're in New York. You grew up two hours from New York. Um, you know, that seems fitting. And so, but then all of a sudden I was like, but that's a month away. Like, so am I just going to say all of a sudden I'm retiring like in a month? And I was like, but I decided to do it. And um, I played the U.S. Open and my last match was actually a doubles match. And we, and I, uh, we, we won our first round doubles and then we lost second round doubles. And I just started bawling. Yeah, I was just crying on the court. Everyone was like, oh my God, why is she crying? And then everyone all of a sudden realized. Oh, so no one knew. You hadn't, it wasn't one of I mean, these, uh, this will I be my last tournament. I was playing with Coco tournament. Van Noe, and Coco knew that I was retiring. But you hadn't, it hadn't been an announcement. Jill Krabus is retiring at the completion of her US Open. No, no. They oh. made an announcement, after, they made an announcement, I think like a few days later. They did a whole, they kind of did a, an announcement on the on, on the television and stuff like that. And people announced it there. But yeah, no one knew beforehand. I mean, I would, like if someone was asking me, I would kind of casually say it to someone if the topic came up, but I wouldn't, I wasn't like that. I wasn't one that wanted to like announce everything about what was happening. What's the proudest moment of your career? I have a few. <laughs> Go on then. <laughs> See, she's not that modest. <laughs> well, a couple of them are about me. <laughs> so, I mean, one was obviously one of the greatest moments was the Serena match at Wimbledon when I, when I beat her at Wimbledon. So that was one. Another one was um, playing Fed Cup in Olympics because it's just a different experience playing for your country. Um, so those were really, really special moments. Yeah, and that was, prob- that was probably the, the highlights, I would say. A couple, a couple, the one I was saying not about me, it was the one where I got a compliment from it all about my forehand. Oh, <gasps> did you? I know. See, you, that was my favorite. Jill was nearly <laughs> not about to tell us that story. That felt like what? an afterthought. Wait, I was going to leave it. That's your opener. Well, okay, there's, okay, there's a couple. There's a couple. These are actually fun. That's the title. What, the, that's the title of our podcast. These are my go-tos. <laughs> these are my go-tos, actually, because I normally don't say matches. So one was at the US Open. I was practicing with Vera Zvonareva. And um, we were on those front courts where all the top seeds play uh, or practice. And um, Nadal was practicing next to us. And of course, it's hard to focus on your court when Nadal's practicing next to you. And so I'm watching his intensity and whatever. And then he finishes his practice. And of course, I'm very aware that his practice is finishing and he's going to walk behind our court. (laughs) Very aware of all this, even though I'm trying to focus. (laughs) So he finishes. I'm in the middle of a point. And I know he's waiting for a point to finish before he, yeah. That's pressure. Not only pressure, but I should be focused on my practice, Gigi. <laughs> and so I'm very aware of this is all happening. And my coach knows he's, that I'm very aware of this in the middle of the point. So I, like, I'm literally in the middle of the point. And I was like, I have to win this point. I do. I have to win this point. 
And so I get this forehand in the middle of the court and I hit it forehand inside out winner. And Nadal looks at my coach and he goes, that's pretty good. <laughs> wow. And so I, that made my day. And you can see how I see how much more excited talking about this than my match. Your eyes have just lit up. Like 20 years later, you're going to remember that. You're going to I know. Re- remember very little about your actual matches. Exactly. And then there was one more. It was when I was so, at the Olympics. See, now we, we've opened the door. I know. Now here we go. It was when I was at the Olympics. And it was at the Beijing Olympics. And I played, um, the draw came out. I played Patty Schneider first round, who's Swiss. Do you know where I'm going with this? <laughs> and so I'm waiting to play my match. And I'm, we're inside the player lounge, and I'm, I'm watching Venus is playing um, Bazinski, who's Swiss. So I'm, I'm sitting in the row, and the chair is watching. And then in front of me, Patty is sitting, Patty and Schneider. And we're both obviously waiting to play each other. And then in comes Federer, and he sits next to Schneider. And to this day, I have no idea, no idea why they're speaking English, English to each other, but they are. And um, Federer goes to Patty. She's, he's like, who do you play? And she says, oh, Kravis. And he goes, oh, Jill. And I was like... <gasps> I didn't know we're on the first name basis. <laughs> wow. Now, hang on. Were you sitting behind Fed? I was sitting behind them. Did you pipe up and say, yes, that's me? Yeah. No. Cheers, Rog. Thanks. No, I was too did you say nervous. Thank you? Did you say thank you, Roger? No. I now didn't. you're on first name terms. No. But those are, so those are the two highlights better in Nadal. <laughs> That's pretty good. It's not bad, right? That's pretty good. Do you have I something? Have, can you match that? Do you know what? I actually can. I actually can. With I one, can't get involved with this conversation at all. <laughs> I actually can with one little story. There was a, it was at, at Davis Cup. They, they did this little thing for, I don't know if it's social media. It might have been before social media times. I'm not sure already. Um, but they did this little video, maybe for the, the LTA website or something, with Andy Murray. And he was, uh, he wasn't number one in the world at the time. But he's pretty good. <laughs> he was still top five, I think. But it was at Davis Cup and somebody was asking quick fire questions to him. And um, it was kind of like a 30 seconds. We're going to fire as many questions as, you, as we can at you about British tennis. And one of the questions was best female British player. And he said me. That tops it. Naomi Cavaday. And, I never um, got the I best think anything. I'm not going to lie. I think the answer they were looking for was Laura Robson. But... <laughs> But uh, I'll take it. That is awesome. <laughs> you got nice forehand from Nadal. You got best British tennis player from Andy Murray. I female. Think, female tennis player. Well, he was probably taking the crown of best, <laughs> best British, <laughs> British player. But I think that's pretty good. It is pretty good. For highlights. And now looking to the future from both, well, both of you, all three of us, it's commentary and media work. And I was thinking that maybe, name enough, if we have a little bit of spare time, we could be your official chocolate tasters. That would be fantastic. I mean, I would love to get both of yours feedback. And and how about taking it one step further? I know you haven't even launched yet, but you could sponsor our podcast. I will sponsor. I'll sponsor your podcast. You have to. You have to try the cheese. I guess I need to. That's that's got to be a condition. Other than making chocolates, I guess I I would need to know what that entails. (laughs) I think it would just be just be giving us us chocolates and and. Endless supply. We're, we're a very easy <laughs> podcast to sponsor. Mm. Just keep sending us chocolates. If there's anyone else out there that would like to sponsor us, send us food. <laughs> <laughs> we've heard, I think we've had about four episodes which have, have covered, which have covered Gigi's need for snacks at Slams particularly. And, and baking. Now, the twins have gone to preschool. It's all about you have to take in cakes. So you like baking? No, I love baking. Oh, good. I look, but normally I have a little bit, I normally have, I've, I've been forgetting that I've had to take these things in. I've just remembered that I've got to take some in soon. And so it's... Well, I want to taste some some of your baking. 
Okay, we'll do we'll do an Chocolates exchange. Chocolates and baking and Naomi. I'll keep the smoothies to one. So what are you bringing to the party, Naomi? Oh, what am I bringing? I was going to say, I'll take whatever you got. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not choosy. We've got smoothies and baking. We've got very classy chocolates, high-end chili chocolates. I can bring a very cute dog. Oh, I would He's love that. He's a very that. cute dog. Are you letting Sven? her get away love with that? that. I are love dogs. Are you letting dogs. her get away with that? Sven is... So have you seen a picture of Sven? No. <gasps> and on the dog front, we mm. have an Instagram account for Tennis. Uh, we don't have an awful lot of followers. We're, we're building it slowly. I'm sure with the new chocolate sponsorship, we'll, we'll rock it. But we are followed by an awful lot of dogs. Really? Are we? <laughs> 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 I didn't know this. Not not people. We're actually followed oh. by dogs. Okay. As in, it's a picture of a dog. It says, I am a... Dogs do like tennis balls. I they do a... like tennis balls. <laughs> do you know what? Dogs German have always Shepherd. really liked me. Wherever, And I always thought that it was because I was some sort of dog whisperer. But it's because I always smell of tennis balls. Because, <laughs> you know, when just the tennis ball fluff just gets in your pocket. I do you always smell Maybe it gets in your pockets, doesn't it? You can't really wash like, it out. Currently? That is, the weird, <laughs> that is the weirdest thing I've ever heard. Dogs like me because I smell of tennis balls. <laughs> You're going to listen back to that sentence. <laughs> and think... Why did get, I say that? I have to get Dominika Sivulkova to uh, to smell me and see which uh, brand it is. You did a blind sniffing of balls. And got it right, I'm and sure. Got, and got them all right. A so, lot of people like the smell of an open yeah, can. I know this is what I was saying. It's, it's, a, it's a thing. I can't believe you're still letting Naomi get away when she's bringing a dog. I'm sorry. I know I'm, I have but a soft so spot cute. for dogs. I'm sorry. I love dogs. I just so love cute. animals. So the next time, and I hope you'll join us again. I would love to. And we need to keep track of how things are going with the chocolate launch. We will taste any chocolates. You have actually you've got some with you, so let's go and do that now. uh, Yeah, I think this is the perfect time to say Jill Craber's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Um, if you've enjoyed listening if you enjoy listening to our podcast, we'd love a review. Jill, you can give us a review if you'd like. Of course I will. Uh, you can find us <laughs> I have on, to review myself too. <laughs> on Twitter and Instagram. If you have any questions you'd like us to tackle, any subjects, we'd love to hear from you. But I think now it is definitely time to go and do some chocolate tasting. So uh, is that a good idea, Jill? Excellent. Let's do it. Can't wait. Can't wait.